Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of Galatians, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. This is a store that sells husbands and has just opened in New York City where a woman may go to choose a husband. Among the instructions at the entrance is a description of how the store opens or operates. You may visit the store only once. There are six floors and the attributes of the men increase as the shoppers ascend the flights. There is, however, a catch. You may choose any man from a particular floor or you may choose to go up a floor, but you cannot come back down except to exit the building. So a woman goes to the husband's store to find a husband. And on the first floor, the sign on the door reads, Floor one, these men have jobs and love the Lord. The second floor sign reads, floor two, these men have jobs, they love the Lord, and they love kids. The third floor sign reads, floor three, these men have jobs, they love the Lord, they love kids, and they are extremely good looking. Wow, she thinks, but feels compelled to keep going. So she goes to the fourth floor and the sign reads, Floor four, these men have jobs, they love the Lord, they love kids, they are drop-dead good-looking, and they help with the housework. Oh, mercy me, she explains. I can hardly stand it. Still, she goes to the fifth floor, and the sign reads, Floor five, these men have jobs, they love the Lord, they love kids, and are drop-dead good-looking, they help with the housework, and they have a strong romantic streak. Well, she's so tempted to stay, but she goes to the sixth floor and the sign reads, floor six, you are visitor 4,363,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at the husband's store. Watch your step as you exit the building and have a nice day. (laughs) So this morning, if it's your first time coming, uh, listen to me closely. You have come on a good morning because we are starting. Are you listening? We are starting one of the most important epistles, letter, same word, in the New Testament. We're starting with the book of Galatians today. I would encourage you, get your pen, get your pad, and get your Bible. I've said that around the world. Get your pen, get your pad, and get your Bible. Saints, listen to me. Always bring a pen, 
always bring a pad and always bring a Bible to church because God may have a word to say to you that you need to write down. So always have a pen, always have a Bible and always have a pad with you. The title of my sermon this morning and actually the title of my sermon for the next six chapters, I actually made it easy on myself. I made the same title for six chapters. The same title for six chapters. The title of my sermon this morning, if you're taking notes, you write this down. If not, you'll get it next week, is Grace-Filled Freedom. This morning, we're going to talk about, begin to talk about Grace-Filled Freedom, dealing with Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, before we get started, saints, give me your attention a little background. Here we have the book of Galatians. It has been called the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. Galatia is a region and not a city. Galatia is a region or a territory, not a church or not a city. If you look on a map, a modern day map, you will see that Galatia is actually modern day Turkey. It's in the region of Galatia where we find the city of Philippi, Ephesus, and Colossae. The Galatian people were originally people from Gaul, G-A-U-L, or present-day France, and they migrated south, settling in this region. So in that day, the Galatian people, they were actually kind of country people, if you will. And uh, they were backwoods people. They were kind of the ancient hillbillies of that day. And because they were backwoods country people, they were easily misled when it came to spiritual things, when it came to doctrinal things. So this epistle, like no other epistle in uh, in the Bible has set men free throughout the ages. One day, while going through his daily ritual practice, Martin Luther, in order to please God, was climbing steps, get this, on his knees, and on these steps were pieces of glass. So Martin Luther is climbing the steps on his knees and offering prayers to God on each step. And one step, get this, he heard the voice of God, and God spoke to him. And God said, Martin, the just shall live by faith. And it was at that point that this burned in his heart, and the Protestant Reformation was born. Well, Martin Luther said, the letter to the Galatians is my letter. He said, I betrothed it to myself. It is my wife. He said, I'm married to it. He loved the message of this book, and it was his writings and his commentaries that stirred up another man by the name of John Wesley. Uh, You know, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, and while Wesley was reading Luther's commentary, he decided that God would use them to start his own movement, and he started the Methodist Church, which was quite different, should I say, than the Methodist church of today. And the reason that Luther and Wesley and you and I love the book of Galatians so much is because this book, like no other book, exposes the substitute of spirituality. 
It exposes the substitute of spirituality. Listen, there are a lot of people. Are you listening to me? There are a lot of people who do not like this book because in this book, you will find the topic of grace. And some people, believe it or not, do not like grace. Now, I do not know what is wrong with these people. I don't know about you, but I love grace. Can you wave at me if you love grace? I love grace. I need grace. We live by grace. We move by grace. We walk by grace. We talk by grace. We sleep by grace. Have you ever thought of that? When you sleep at night, you are sleeping by the grace and the mercy of God. Who is it that keeps your brain operating when you're asleep? Is it you? No. When I'm asleep, I am knocked out. I am not thinking about, is my brain operating? When I sleep, I am, when I wake up, I wake up, I'm wiping. Oh, mm. was, that, was that too much information? When I wake up, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Oh, ooh, ooh, you knew. You look, oh, you need to do something. I mean, <laughs> you know how y'all are, you know. But when we sleep, who do you think that keeps the blood running through your veins? Who is it that, that keeps your heart beating? We move by grace. We live by grace. We, 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 we function by grace. We all need grace. And yet there are people who don't like grace, who don't teach grace. You know, I find people who are the most gracious people, listen to this. The people who are the most gracious people are the people who have experienced the most grace. Can you say amen? The people who are the most gracious people, and I have met some gracious people, are the people that if you were to sit and talk with them, they have experienced the most grace. And it brings to mind Paul, who was gracious because Paul experienced grace. I think of when Paul got saved, he was on the road to Damascus. Don't you remember the story? It's in Acts chapter 9. Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's going to kill men and women and, and children because of their faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters and causing many people to blaspheme the name of God at the point of the sword. Saul hated the church. Saul hated Christians. And Saul hated God. And he hated grace because he was a Pharisee, because he was a legalist. Because he was a Sadducee. And I think of when Paul was standing there as they were throwing stones on Stephen. Don't you remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7, just two chapters before? As they dug a big pit, a big hole, and Stephen was down in the pit, and he, he became the first martyr of the church. As they began to hurl stones upon his head, please don't get it mixed up. These were stones. These were huge stones. These were not pebbles. You know, you think of Stephen was stoned as if they took little pebbles from, picked up little pebbles from the ground and threw them on his head and said, now there, take that. And then they picked up another pebble. There, you little Christian lover. No, it wasn't like that. When the Bible says that they stoned Stephen, 
the Bible is indicating that they picked up these stones that were 50, 60, 70 pounds heavy, picked them up and harrowed them upon his head. And he's standing in this circle. And they're heralding stones. And I'm sure Stephen was like anybody else. He's heralding these stones and he's probably trying to duck them. I mean, he was human. He loved Jesus, but he was human. And he's probably trying to duck them. And, you know, they throwing the stones. He's like, yeah, you missed me, didn't you? Didn't you? Yeah, uh-huh. He's probably doing the snake. Yeah, yeah, you missed me, huh? Didn't you? Didn't you? Sorry, this is the third service. So they herald these stones upon his head. And the Bible tells us, are you listening to me? That it was Paul, the apostle, at the time his name was Saul, that he was standing around watching them stone Stephen. Paul was a dignitary. So they took off their coats and they took off their cloaks and they laid them at the feet of Saul because they didn't want any of the blood to spill up on a dignitary. And Saul stood there and watched them stone Stephen. And he also stood there and he watched as Stephen looked up to the heavens and he prayed and he asked the father to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. And of the one of the two times where you find in scripture that Jesus was standing because when you stand for someone, you stand in honor. If the president walks in, we should all stand because that's the honorable thing to do. Someone important walks in, you stand. Well, the Bible tells us that when they were stoning Stephen, that Jesus stood up and he saw Jesus standing to receive him. And Saul was standing there watching this. So then you fast forward two chapters, Acts chapter 9. Saul's on the road to Damascus to go and kill Christians. And all of a sudden, a bright light shines. He falls to the earth. And he hears Saul, Saul, why are you trying to persecute me? Saul, it's hard to kick against the conviction, isn't it? The conviction of what? Don't you know that that was a testimony to him to see Stephen praying for them, to see Stephen dying in that way, to see Stephen looking up and seeing Jesus and the testimony of that martyrdom? That affected Paul. I'm confident that affected him. That would affect anybody. And then Jesus says, Saul, he actually says, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. In other words, Saul, you're hurting the church, but guess what? You're hurting yourself. Because the more that you hurt my people, you hurt yourself. And that was a testimony to him. And the blood of Jesus in Acts chapter 9 saved him. And God reached out to him in such a way, in such an awesome way. And he showed him his grace. His grace. And Paul understood at that point the power of the grace of God and the freedom that comes along with it. And because of that, listen, Paul was never willing to compromise grace. Saints, listen. Listen, I've gone around the world to tell people, never compromise grace. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about, you know, you get to do whatever you want. You go get to sin it up. You get to go do whatever, drink whatever you want, act the way you want, do whatever you want, because you're under grace. 
That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when people try to put you under rules and regulations and rituals and tell you that if you do these things, then you are right with God, then that is legalism. That is compromising grace. Listen, rules are not bad. Policy is not bad. You know, people think, well, just because we, you know, we do things a certain way and you have things set up a certain way, well, and if you can't do it, then that's legalism. People have accused us of legalism. We don't want children in the sanctuary and all oh, you legalistic Christians, you're not suffering the children to come to Jesus. Like, oh, we are suffering the children to come to Jesus. We have a nice children's church for them to go and learn on their level. That's not legalism. But legalism is when someone tells you that if you do this and if you do that and if you do this, then you will be right with God. That's legalism. If you understand that, can you clap your hands? Can you clap your hands? This is incredibly important. And we can never, ever, ever, never, ever compromise legalism. Paul never did. He never did. Planes, trains, and automobiles. I've gone to tell people, never, ever compromise grace. Grace. Got a pen? Write this down. G-R-A-C-E. An acronym? God's Riches at Christ's expense. Grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, talking about the just shall live by faith. In the fourth century, in his autobiography, The Confessions, Augustine realized that he was powerless to live a sinful life, sinless life, and the memory of his past, listen to this, haunted him, Augustine. And he wept bitterly for his lost soul, and he was certain that his sins were beyond forgiveness. And he began reading about the grace of God and suddenly realized the solution for his sins was Jesus Christ and the grace that he has to give. And Augustine's life was changed forever. The just shall live by faith. And then in the 16th century, God was still reaching and influencing people with the gospel of the grace of God. And the Christian church was very wealthy at this time and very powerful. And instead of offering salvation by preaching God's word, the church began selling salvation and other spiritual privileges for money. They call that indulgences. And the richer the church became, the more spiritually bankrupt it became. And it was during this time that Martin Luther began to proclaim that men and women are justified by grace and grace alone. We call that sola gratia, grace alone. Sola scriptura, scripture only. Sola fide, faith only. And the just shall live by faith. And then you fast forward to the 18th century as God was still reaching people with the gospel of grace. England was broken and there was an unemployment and homelessness and prison and hunger and disease and illiteracy. And the problem was heavy on the heart of John Wesley. Well, it was May 24, 1738. John Wesley was for the first time. He got a hold of the fact that salvation is by grace and through faith alone, which launched the Methodist movement. Wesley later said, my heart was strangely warmed. I trusted in Christ alone for salvation and received the assurance that he had taken away my sins and saved me from the law of sin and death. And another revival and renewal spread throughout England and across the ocean to America. And the just shall live by faith. Listen, saints, it's true. Look at history. It is true. 
that wherever this message of the grace of God is taught, lives are changed and people are set free. Don't you realize that the only way to be set free is through the grace of God? And there are plenty of pulpits and plenty of preachers who are afraid to preach grace because they say that if you preach grace, then you're preaching a license for people to live in the flesh. And they call it cheap grace. We, we, the church, Calvary Chapel, we would be accused of teaching cheap grace or what they call greasy grace. Greasy grace, cheap grace. Listen, I tell you something, there's nothing cheap about grace. Somebody say a better amen than that. There was nothing cheap about grace. Grace was free to you. But grace cost Jesus his life. The precious blood of Jesus is what purchased your grace. And now for you, you simply have to believe. You simply have to trust and put your hope in it. But grace certainly was not cheap. And so they teach that if you teach people that they're under grace, that they're going to go out and send it up. And I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think if you teach people about the grace of God, and you teach them properly and help them to understand this topic of grace, it won't cause them to go out and sin it up. Are you listening? It's not going to cause you to go out and sin it up. If people understand grace in the context in which they should understand grace, it's going to cause you to go out and love the Lord more. It's going to cause you to say, God, you know what? I need to serve you more. God, I need to give you my heart more. God, I need to give you my time more. God, I need to give you my thoughts more. God, I need to read the word more. God, I need to pray more. God, I need to get involved in church more. That's what grace will do for you. Grace will help you to understand what God requires of you. It will not cause you to go out and sin. And when you do go out and sin, the Holy Spirit will come and convict you and you won't go out and sin again because you understand the grace of God. And that's why we can't compromise. And that's why we can't ever, ever, ever stop telling people of the grace of God. Because the grace of God is important. It's interesting because when preachers and teachers today, they're so worried about teaching grace, but Jesus wasn't. (laughs) Think about it. Jesus wasn't. I mean, Jesus wasn't afraid to have the father of the prodigal son to give his son a kiss instead of a lecture when he returned home. You remember that story in Luke 15? He wasn't afraid to give his son a, 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 a party instead of probation. Amen. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, probation, but I won't ask you to raise your hand. (laughs) Probation. Jesus wasn't afraid to show grace to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Don't you remember John chapter 8, taking notes? That woman was caught in the act of adultery? Caught in the act of adultery? Caught. How do you catch somebody in the act of adultery? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, they catch this woman in an act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. They throw her at Jesus' feet. All the guys are around, and then they're all accusing her. And the Bible says Jesus leaned down, and he wrote something. We don't know what he wrote. I think he probably wrote the names of the guys who was probably sleeping with her, too. Okay. After a while, Jesus looks at the woman, and the woman looks at Jesus, and I think she looked at Jesus with those grace-filled eyes of his. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? 
And she said, I'm not here, Lord. And he says, I don't condemn you. And I, I can imagine Jesus took the woman by her hand. He lifted her up. He looked at her and he said, now go and sin no more. That's grace, my people. That's grace. Our God is a God of grace. Can you clap your hands? Our God is, a, you ought to be happy about that. Our God is a God of grace. And I'll tell you something else about grace. I'll tell you something else about grace. Grace, listen, is much more, listen, write this down. Grace is much more demanding than the law. Did you ever think about that? Grace is much more demanding than the law. You see, the law says do this and live. The law says once a year, bring your sacrifice on the day of Yom Kippur, slaughter your lamb, take the blood, sprinkle it on the altar seven times, go away, your sins will be forgiven until next year. Come back next year, do the same thing, no problems. This is what the law says. The law says do this and live. If you do this, you will live. You do this at this time, you will live. Grace says that every bit of you is owned by the Lord. Grace says that God owns all of you all day, every day, every action. God owns that action. And every day we are to present ourselves to God as Romans chapter 12. We are to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. That's grace and that's every day. Which, by the way, makes it more demanding than the law. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.